Here we go. You're listening to Law and Gospel on this Monday, March the 13th, in the year of our Lord, 2023. I'm Pastor Tom Baker. And as is our custom on Mondays, we like to take a look at the readings for the following Sunday. Uh, The following Sunday is going to be the fourth Sunday in Lent, March the 19th. And the readings are from Isaiah 42, Ephesians 5, and John 9. We're going to do John 9 because it's not only one of my favorite passages, but it is a whole chapter long. And the reading does go the whole chapter from verse 1 through verse 41. It's about a man born blind whom Jesus heals. There is a lot of theology. What's the difference between an historical event and theology? Many of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are historical events of the life of Jesus Christ with occasional theology as Jesus teaches and preaches. In contrast to the epistles of Paul and others that are basically theological interpretations of God's point of view of reality. And as we have said for some time, the goal of the pastor is to help you understand the English as to what does this mean, which starts right off in chapter 9, verse 1. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, I don't think most people understand that, why they would ask such a question. And, and the reason that they would ask such a question is because in the religion of Judaism, it was taught that people who have infirmities, namely the blind, the lame, the mute, the deaf, These were punishments from God for what they had somehow done. And so the disciples just simply asked, well, this man was born blind? How come? Was it due to his sin or the sin of his parents? Do you understand how ridiculous that question is? Being born blind meant that he had to do something before he was born, that he was a sinner in doing something that deserved being born blind. Makes no sense at all. We we run into this today a lot of times. People will have some kind of sorrow in their life. Uh, Perhaps there's a breakup in the marriage. Perhaps they lose their job. Perhaps they lose their house. 
Perhaps they don't get their promotion they wanted. Perhaps they don't get the grade that they wanted to get to because they were unable to pass the test. Perhaps they didn't get into a profession that needed tests to be fulfilled. Is this because of some sin they've done? How about the people who get the Chinese virus? Are we going to say they got it because of some sin? No. Sometimes that is true. You, you can be ill. For example, there's no doubt that there are a number of people who received AIDS because of an improper lifestyle. But then some people received AIDS because they got a blood transfusion that had AIDS within it. So you really cannot at times tell the reason why a person suffers. And that's what Jesus says. In this particular case, verse 3, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Wow. Does that make any sense? If it's the work of God, why would we suffer such pain, injury, or whatever has happened in our life that makes us sad? Because God is allowing it to happen in order that we might get a better character. In last week's Romans epistle, it said that suffering was good because it resulted in proper endurance, proper character, and also hope as one trusted in the cross of Jesus Christ. How many times have you had some suffering which motivated you to pray to God more than usual? And you would think, I'm not going to get through this day. And here you are living today. So Jesus says, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. Now what he's referring to, of course, is the end of time. When nobody will be able to help anybody else. Because you will either be going to heaven or to hell. He says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. In other words, Jesus breaks through the darkness of our suffering and sorrow. How does that happen in the church? Well, as I've said a number of times, when a pastor visits a family or goes to the hospital, to see a member, he uses Bible passages that are appropriate to the situation to bring comfort and quiet into the life of that person. And those Bible passages 
become the light of the world where you now see things from God's point of view. So what did Jesus do? He spits on the ground and he makes mud with his saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and say to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. Now the word Siloam, the name of the pool means scent. So he went and washed and came back seen. You know, I often wonder how you would film certain items in the Bible. Like one of them I always wonder about is when Abraham is ready to sacrifice Isaac. Remember, he has him ready to put the knife into him and to burn him. How did he get Isaac onto that rock or wherever he was about to put him to death? Did he lie to him, say, just lie down and relax, or what? Now, I saw one movie where when Abraham was ready to sacrifice his son, for some reason, Isaac fainted, and he was able to put him into a position to sacrifice him. But the Bible doesn't say that. I wonder this one also. This man is blind, and of course, there's a distance between where he is at and the Pool of Siloam. He's probably near the temple asking for funding so he can stay alive. We find that out later. Well, how would you film him walking to the pool of Siloam with his face covered with mud? People would maybe say, whatever his name was, Joe, what, what, what are you doing? Oh, this man put mud on my, on my eyes and told me to go wash in the pool. They would think he's crazy, but he did it. This helps us to understand that when God gives a command, he is going to fulfill a promise behind that command. That's why we go to the pool of water in a church called the baptismal font in order to even baptize infants because God says, go and baptize all nations and infants are part of nations. They're always counted. Into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Peter says at the Pentecost sermon that by such baptism you receive two gifts. The assurance of the gift of the forgiveness of sins and also the gift of the Holy Spirit. This man trusted the words of Jesus. He went, did something ridiculous, walking with mud on his face to the pool of Siloam, washed himself, and he could see. Now, the text goes on. 
The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is not this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said it is, but others said no. He just looks like him. But he kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? Now, does he say, Oh, well, I met this man who is God. His name is Jesus, and he healed me. No, he doesn't realize who Jesus is. He says, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? Where is this Jesus? He said, I do not know. So it's not necessary that when a child, for example, gets baptized, that they know what's going on. It's the word of God, not the water. The word of God connected to the water that washes away your sin gives you faith through the power of the Holy Spirit. So, of course, the people who are questioning whether this is the man who was born blind, and now they heal that he is healed, they hear, they bring him to the Pharisees, verse 13. Verse 14 is very important. Now, it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. Once more, you need a pastor who's trained in theology to realize that in Judaism at that time, a, a Sabbath day was a day that you were not to work. And this is not in the Bible, but the Pharisees had invented a teaching that doctors were not to heal anyone on the Sabbath. That was work. And that was against their rules. But Jesus shows how ridiculous that is in another passage where he says, if one of your animals falls into a hole, are you going to wait till Sunday to take him out? No, you'll, you'll take him out the day he fell into a hole, namely even on the Sabbath. And he pointed out, uh, look at the shepherds who on a Sabbath sacrifice lambs. They do work. So this is a false teaching of the religion called Judaism that we believe came about around the time of the captivity by the Babylonians of Israel. It's important to know it was the Sabbath. So the Pharisees begin to ask this man who had received his sight saying, how did this happen? And he repeats to them, he put mud on my eyes, I wash and I see. Then some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. I wonder how many times we think that. You know, unfortunately, in public schools, and sometimes even in 
well, parochial schools, they have sports and they need to play on a Sunday. Is that a sin to play on the day that you should be worshiping? No. We would go on a vacation and it was in an area where we had a cabin for two weeks. And my dad, every Sunday morning, would take us to the beach and we would have a Bible study and a little worship service. But sometimes, let's say you're a professional golfer and you're in a tournament that's on a Sunday and you don't have the opportunity to worship that day. We don't consider that to be a sin. But some of the Pharisees says, he's not keeping the Sabbath. He cannot be from God. But then others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such things? You see, this is important again to understand. In that culture of Judaism, the Pharisees did not think that they were sinners, not like tax collectors who worked with the Romans or prostitutes. And this made them very, very angry when Jesus would sit and eat with tax collectors or talk with prostitutes about the kingdom of God that he was speaking about. This was their evidence that he could not be from God. But some of the Pharisees says, how can a man who we consider to be a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? And the blind man said, he is a prophet. Because that's what happened in the Old Testament. Prophets did do miracles. Elijah raised a dead boy from his bed. And there were many other miracles done. Well, it then goes on to verse 18. The Jews, and here we're referring to those who did not believe in Jesus. The Jews didn't believe that the man had been blind until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then he does now see? Now listen to the parents' answer. We know this is their son. We know that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we don't know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. Now see, the parents knew that Jesus had healed their son. Why did they lie to the Pharisees? It's explained in verse 22. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, that means the Messiah, he was to be put out of the synagogue. In other words, he would be removed from worship. He is of age, the parents said. Ask him. So the Pharisees call him a second time 
give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. And the man says, whether he is a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know, though I was blind, now I see. They ask him again, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I've told you already, and you would not listen. Now, now this is a layman talking to the main worship leaders of Judaism. And then he says this, why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Boy, did that ever make them mad. And they reviled them saying, you are his disciples, but we are disciples of Moses. We know God spoke to Moses, but as for this man, we, don't know, we do not know where he comes from. And then the layman says, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. And here's the man continues. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. How do the Pharisees reply to him? You were born in utter sin. Remember that view the disciples had. Who sinned, him or his parents? And you would teach us? And they cast him out, which means they excommunicated him from the synagogue. Now, it wasn't a proper excommunication because that means they couldn't take communion, and there was no communion yet. But at any rate, they removed him, did not allow him to go into the Sabbath, uh, into the temple, into the synagogue. Then Jesus heard that he had been cast out, and he found him and he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Now, this man does have knowledge of the Old Testament. Uh, the Son of Man is mentioned in Daniel, where the Ancient of Days, who is God the Father, sends the Son of Man, who is God the Son, into the world to redeem the world. And Jesus asked him, do you believe in the Son of Man? And the man who now sees says, who is he? Sir, that I may believe in him. Then here Jesus says in verse 37, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. Wow. Jesus admits that he is the Son of God. Jesus said, these things and what does a man respond lord i believe and then in verse 38 this man born blind who now sees it says and he worshiped jesus now nobody should worship anybody not an angel 
not a regular human being, but God's son who became flesh for us can be worshiped and he worships him. Jesus continues in verse 39, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. What is Jesus talking about? He's talking on the spiritual level that those who are ignorant of God's way of salvation, that they will now see the light of Jesus Christ and be saved. But those who say they can see already, namely those who think they're saved by their works and think that God owes them salvation, a huge difference between law and gospel, they will become blind. Some of the Pharisees heard Jesus say these things, and they said to him, are we also blind? And listen to what Jesus says. If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. Do you understand what Jesus is saying there? He's saying to people who say, we see that we are saved by our works. We don't need a savior or a Messiah. Jesus therefore says, you are therefore blind and your guilt remains, which means they are not receiving the gift of the forgiveness of sins, not because it's not available to them, but because they refuse to acknowledge Jesus as Savior. Tremendous chapter, John 9, with lots of theology in it that is applicable to our day. It's a great chapter for you to read, and you'll hear it on Sunday in a proper worship service. I'm Tom Baker. Till tomorrow, God bless you. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check out to Law and Gospel and mail to Law and Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132, or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.